Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of the World Football Index Copa Libertadores podcast. A bit of a change to the, the usual panel this evening, but as always, uh, as regular as clockwork in Chile and Arica, we have Adam Brandon. Good evening or good morning as it is for us now, Adam. How are you this morning? Yeah, good. Thanks, Dave. Uh, looking forward to another exciting round of Libertadores action, chatting about that. So yeah, all good. That's good. And also, a regular uh, Austin Miller somewhere in the States. Uh, are we still in Chicago or where are we? Still in Chicago. Might be the first time I've done three consecutive pods in the same spot in a while. But yes, still in Chicago and doing well. Thought we had a good, uh, good group of matches this week. I think there'll be a lot to talk about. We might not go two parts. Because, you know, there wasn't the scenes that we had last week. But I think a good sign. Thankfully. Set to break down. <laughs> Thankfully, yes. Well, there was plenty of that in Brazilian football this week to make up for it, to be honest with you. So it's not as if we're starved of it. And, and last but certainly not least, and, and definitely good morning in the UK, it's Tom Robinson back again. Tom, yourself, how are you all? Well with you? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Glad to be back on the pod again. And like the other guys are saying, plenty of matches full of goals and incidents to uh, discuss tonight. So. Yeah, looking forward to it. Truly appreciate you taking the time, especially at this ungodly hour of the morning in the UK, to, to, to do the pod with us. Well, try and beat through it as quickly as possible. Um, so we started on Tuesday evening with uh, Atletico took a man against Peñarol. I started watching this one. Uh, it's, it, there's a theme here to my Tuesday night. I started watching this one, and it was the most boring thing in the world. I took, I took notes for a change, and all I wrote was, the band of took a man is great. Uh, and I switched over then because um, Atletico Nacional and Estudiantes had started, and I missed all of the goals because of it. So who who saw this one? Who wants to start us off? Yeah, I saw this one. Um, it was, yeah, as you said, it wasn't the greatest game of football ever played, but and especially after the uh, the, the drama and violence uh, of uh, Peñarol's last game, this was a, a much more calm affair. So... Yeah, basically, it was pre- pretty much uh, a stalemate. Tucumán had some good chances early on. Um, Luis Pulgar Rodriguez um, had, had a great chance re- um, to, to put the home side in front. But yeah, it, it sort of it went deep into the second half, and then ultimately it was it seemed to be like a tale of two corners. Really, um, Zampedri, who's who's been an absolute revelation in the Libertadores, I think that's five in nine for him now. Basically, he scored the opener for Tucumán. They uh, there was a corner. It was uh, flicked back across, and and then he got the header in off the post. There was a hint of offside, but it looked all right to me. I don't know what the other guys think about that. Then it was uh, another corner. This time, whipped in from Barbona, and it looked like it was going to go straight in, but it hit the crossbar, and the Peñarol defender was just so slow to react, and Leandro González headed in from close range. So then it looked like you know. Game over, but a, a late Gaston Rodriguez goal, um, some nice footwork there for that goal, sort of made a, a bit of a nervy finish. But in the end, uh, Tucumán, who's I, th- I think we can all say is one of our our favourite teams in this this year's t- uh, competition, got got the vital win, and they keep their their qualification hopes alive. I think up to seven points now, so it's g- it's going to be an interesting final day for them. It will be interesting. Uh, I'd like to second what you said about the first 75 minutes of this match, which were desperately dull. And it was odd because this was a match where going into it, both of these teams needed the three points. A point for each of them really didn't do them any good. But it looked more like they were both trying not to lose than they were trying to win. And then finally, it did kick up and the last 15 minutes were quite exciting. 
Penyadol now officially eliminated from this competition. Tucumán in with a shout, indeed, but it's going to be difficult, I think, for them to to get out of this group because they go on the road to Palmeiras in their final match. And not just that, but they'll have to do it without Zampedri, who picks up his third yellow card and is therefore suspended for that Palmeiras match. So as you said, Tom, he's been a player who's really impressed for Tucumán in this competition, got their first goal on the night against Peñarol, but without him... I struggle to see where this Tucumán attack kind of comes together. So I think that's something to, to really keep an eye on. It wasn't overly impressive on the night from Tucumán, but it was the three points that they absolutely needed to stay in this competition. And they've given themselves a chance. And at this point, that's really all you can do, even if it is just a small chance for them. Yeah, just a quick point on this on this group. If, if Wilson pick up um, at least a point in Montevideo against uh, Peñarol, then what that means is that Tucumán need to win by two goals in Sao Paulo against Palmeiras. So that means that that late goal they conceded against Benarol in this in this match looks like it could prove quite costly for them. But there's a, there's another aspect to it as well, Austin, which I'm sure we'll come on to when we talk uh, about Palmeiras. Uh, there's been a bit of a change there this evening, and and how do you expect that to impact? It's right in the first initial minutes after that, so I think it's tough to say now. It could be a better Palmeiras side. It could be a more disciplined Palmeiras side by that point. I think the more interesting thing for me is how will Peñarol approach that match against Wilsterman? A, we don't know where it's going to be played yet. I would be I would be shocked if it is played at Peñarol Stadium in front of the home fans. I think it'll at least be a closed-door affair. They may have to send it somewhere else behind closed doors. Penedol out of this competition. Wilsterman, not exactly a great team away from home. They follow that typical Bolivian not good when not at altitude strategy. Uh, but Penedol will also have no motivation except maybe to try and keep Palmatis from going through, in which case it would be better for them to lose to Wilsterman. So I think that is actually really intriguing for me, uh, how Penedol approaches that match with, with Wilsterman and how Wilsterman approached that match because a point could be enough to get them out. And that would be a very good result from the Bolivians, as we'll get to based on what they were able to do against Palmeiras this week. So basically I abandoned that game, as I say, at nil-nil and, and missed all the, the, the good part of it and turned over to Atletico Nacional against Estudiantes. I left that game at, at one nil then to move on to the third game of the night. And again, this game exploded with goals. And there's a theme here. Who, who wants to talk about this one? Certainly we, we saw Atletico Nacional, I think, you know, from, from the highlights then, obviously I saw it. You know, looking much more like uh, the defending champions, looking much more like the team that enthralled us, I think, last year. Studiantes started with Ferran. Um, again, from from what little I did see of it, it didn't look like he, he had an, an exceptional evening again. But as I say, Atletico Nacional, a bit too late, I think, for them in this competition, but at least there's life. Uh, who, who wants to grab this one? Yeah, I think you said it perfectly there. Little too, too little, too late. For Atletico Nacional, I mean, they they did really look like the side that blew everyone away last year. One of the the players that Simon always mentions on the pod, Uribe, I thought he was particularly good. He he scored the first goal down the right hand side with Quinones. They absolutely tore uh, Estudiantes apart. I think all four goals came from that side of the pitch, if if memory serves me. Yeah, finally. I mean, Deiro Moreno missed an early chance, and you kind of thought, oh, is it going to be one of those days again? But um, he then finally did get his goal um, on the on the cusp of half time to make it two nil. 
And then after that, it just you, ne- you never saw Estudiantes getting back in into the game. I mean, from an Argentinian point of view, they've been really disappointing. Um, I think the whole Veron thing's been a bit of a sideshow. And yeah, he's put, pulled off some good free kicks here and there, but realistically, in a in a group as tough as this one, you need a bit more dynamism in the midfield. So Estudiantes, who gave themselves a a little glimmer of hope last week with the uh, with the win against Nacional, have yeah basically as good as gone out now. So um, yeah, it's going to be. I think Atletico still have a chance. Um, if, if I think if they can get a win against Botafogo, they might go through. It, it might be a, a little bit too late. Just very quickly on this, I would not be shocked to see Atletico Nacional sneak out of this group because what it would take for them to sneak out of this group is a collapse from Botafogo. And I wouldn't be all that surprised by that because both Fogo haven't been all that good at any point in this competition and they weren't very good against Barcelona in a match that we'll get to. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Atletico Nacional sneak out of this group on nine points with a win against both the Fogo and then the right results going their way. I'd just like to put that out there. Well, if they play like the play, um, you know, uh, night before last, they... <laughs> it is possible. And as you rightly said, Botafogo against Barcelona... Uh, ended 2-0 to the visitors. Austin, a really good crowd down in Rio for this one. But to be honest with you, Barcelona, that first half, that guy, Ali Mann, just, just ran the show. Absolutely just ran the show. You know, we, We've talked a lot in this podcast about Camilo, who showed bits and pieces of quality, but the defence of Barcelona were equal to him at every step of the way. Um, you know, they, they picked their two goals in the break. They were closing down so, so well, robbing the ball off Botafogo. You know, that first half, I, I appreciate that, that Botafogo did improve in the second half, but I think it was more to do with Barcelona. Maybe just, like, we're 2-0 up, we're, we're, we're coasting a little bit. This is sort of what I kind of expected of Botafogo early on. You know, I know we, we have been quite critical of them and the way they qualified and so on, and they never really looked that good. And you always worried if they came up against a team, that, that were in the groove, and Barcelona certainly were. That first half, as I say, exceptional, Austin. It was. And and Barcelona, I thought, were really the only team this week that took what they did last week and then bettered it this week. You know, coming out of last week, we were kind of impressed by four teams, if you will. We were impressed by Barcelona. We were impressed by Gremio. We were impressed by Palmeiras. And we were impressed by River Plate. River Plate didn't play this week. Palmeiras went and lost in Bolivia. Gremio went and lost in Chile. Botafogo didn't do that. They're really one of the favorites in this competition, I think. And they showed why at the Engineon on Tuesday night. They took advantage of individual mistakes by Botafogo. On the first goal, uh, Botafogo's center back, Joel Carley, the Argentine, was just not quick enough for IOV, who ran past him, got inside, and then was able to split the legs of Gachito Fernandez for the first goal. Then the second goal was a really... Strong effort from Alves, uh, the striker for both for Barcelona, rather, who was able to beat both Fernandez and a Botafogo center back to a ball, and then kind of flick it beyond, let it roll, and then punch it home into the net, into an empty net. And it was just an effort goal, really, and that put them two 0 up, and that was enough. I was impressed with the defense of Barcelona again. Bongeta wears that stupid ball cap, but he makes every save. It's so difficult. You don't want to like him, and then he goes out there and he keeps his team in a match like this. Uh, so credit to yeah, Bongeta. he was he was excellent in this one, really good. Uh, did did you see that the, the, well. the last the last ditch tackle? Um, yeah. You know they were clean through on goal, and I forget which defender it was. 
but the tackle I mean was pinpoint accuracy. Any, anything else, it was a pen. And I think he, that was the Valencia one, right in the first half. Yeah, I think that. Yeah. I think that really All was the moment where they they sort of they kept momentum. And I think if they'd maybe conceded a penalty or um, conceded a goal, that might have seen the game even out a bit. But I think that really, you know, gave Barcelona that extra momentum to go on and uh, double their advantage. I was surprised that a Botafogo striker stayed on his feet on that one because he, he, he looked like he was fouled outside the box. I'm thinking of maybe a different one then. I know, oh, I, I right. know that Guillermo went down in, in the second half and, and it looked like a, yeah, a really 50-50 call. But there was one, the one tackle in the first half that was absolutely incredible um, from Valencia. So, yeah, there was you know maybe a, a bit of hesitancy from uh, Botafogo in the final third there. But yeah, I've got, I've got to agree. Barcelona were much the better team. And, and you, also, if you take into account, they, they were without quite a few of their big players. You know, Ajola wasn't there, um, Caicedo, Esteria, like, they're, you know, they're three of their usual starters. So the fact they managed to do it without them just adds extra praise from me. Barcelona managed um, 11 attempts in the first half, which is the highest from any side away from home in the Libertadores this year so far. For my money, Barcelona have been the best side in the Libertadores so far. They've, they've looked good both at home and away. There's really not another team I think you can say that about, possibly River. And also Godai Cruz, actually, who, as I mentioned on the pod last week, seemed to be sort of quite quietly efficient in this tournament. Yeah, Barcelona for me with their style of play. Are probably the most exciting team to watch in this competition as well. Pineda, the, the left, well, left back, left wing back, I thought put in a brilliant performance in this game. He looked so composed on the ball, defended well, supported the Barcelona attack when needed. I was looking up about him the other day, and, and he's actually a product of Independiente de Vez, uh youth system. Uh, yeah, there we go. Mispronunciation and all. Yeah. <laughs> Which is which is uh, which is one of the best on the continent, of course, and and IDV, a team we praised endlessly last year when they made it to the final. But yeah, he he moved to Barcelona at the end of 2015, so he missed out on IDV's run to the final last year. Look at looking at how Barcelona are going so far in this competition. I, I you wouldn't put it past another Ecuadorian side making it to the final again this year. Adam, were you impressed by Ali Mann? I thought I thought he was exceptional on the night. As I say, yeah, that first half, you know, he, he was subbed off, but I thought he was man of the for my money, man of the match. Everything good that Barcelona did went through him. Yeah, in, in both games against Botafogo, he was their standout attacking player, wasn't he? I, th- I, th- I think he got an excellent goal a couple of weeks ago against them as well. He looks a real talent, easy to pick out on the pitch as well with his Afro. Yeah, there was him and Camilo, and, and Camilo's another one at Botafogo who who I actually admire a lot, and, and think you know I, I think he could do well in Europe uh, if he were ever to go there. But his his sort of brilliance was outdone by that defense, Austin. It was, and and the defense for Barcelona is what I thought swung this match. You know, keeping that clean sheet. I thought Botafogo created some opportunities at points. You know, uh, the other guys have mentioned the last ditch tackles we saw on occasions. Van Gerda certainly made some impressive saves. So. It was an all-around good performance from Barcelona. As for both the Fogo are concerned, they're not, they're in an okay position in the table when you look at it, but I think they'll be looking over their shoulders just a little bit. They're on seven points in second place. 
Atletico Nacional and Estudiantes are both behind them on three points. So, you know, they have a two-match kind of pad, uh, a match pad, if you will. But two matches still to play. Atletico Nacional come to the Engine Yaun in both Fogo's next match. I think that's going to be very intriguing. Because if Nacional can get three points there, then you never know what can happen in that final match day when both Fogo have to go away. And Nacional could be playing a Barcelona team that are not necessarily motivated because they might have everything wrapped up. So I think both Fogo need to be a little careful and they need to make sure they get a point from that match at home against Atletico Nacional to see themselves through. I would not want to leave this for the last day the way that Nacional looked against Estudiantes. You don't know if they're going to be able to play like that again, but if they are, it could be trouble for Fogel. Do you feel that they're maybe a little undercooked? I know that they have all their eggs at this moment in time in, in uh, this competition, basically. And they're, they're quite heavily resting players in between these games. You know, I've watched them a couple of times, um, you know, here uh, at the weekend. And it's a very much changed team that we see from what we see in the Libertadores. And I'm just wondering, you know, is that maybe going to affect them? You know, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of games down here. We've already, already said that, but you know, along the lines of what we saw tonight there as well in the Europa League, the same thing with Kel de Vigo, who have been resting this team for, and, and they they just didn't turn up tonight. Do you fear anything like that may be a, a hindrance to to Botafogo? I mean, my biggest fear for them is that they'll probably start the Brazilian down in a hole and never be able to make anything of this campaign because they're going to put as you said, all of their eggs in this Libertadores basket. And I don't think it's going to turn up. I don't think it's going to be an issue of having too much rest or too little rest. I just don't think it's that great of a side. Uh, Camilo, as we've said, is a player who's impressed. Uh, Gichito Fernandez, their goalkeeper, I think is a good player. But beyond that, there's really no one that stands out to you when you watch this both Fogo team play. They were fortunate to get a point away to Barcelona. They were probably even fortunate to make it into the group stage. So I don't think they're going to do very well in this competition, and I don't think they're going to do very well domestically in Brazil either, not because of any sort of tactical errors, just simply because I don't think the squad is all that great. No, indeed. And we'll, we'll move on into Wednesday evening now, and Adam, a win for a Chilean side over a Brazilian side, uh, a kick beating Grêmio 2-1, to and again, I think we saw, you know, we, we often say about Gallo, and we often say about Grêmio, or Brazilian sides here are a bit Jackal and Hyde, and we, we may have saw the good side of Grêmio last week and not, the not-so-good side of them this week, but Akike put them to the sword. Yeah, it was a mightily impressive result and performance from Akike. I could believe one of their biggest and best results in their history, you'd have to say. And after a slow start as well, because after about 18 minutes, I think it was, uh, Grêmio uh, worked to set piece well. And Lucas Barrios, the ex-Colo-Colo striker, put the Brazilians 1-0 up. But Akike found the perfect response. Uh, Diego Bielkovic uh, equalised from the penalty spot like a minute later. That's four goals for him now in the Libertadores. He's having an excellent campaign. Yeah, and it was 1-1 at half-time. And it, and, it, and it felt a very winnable game for Akike at that, at that point. They'd grown into the game in that first half. And they finished the, the first half on top. And um, and it just looked like Gremio didn't particularly fancy it on the night, I thought. It, the game was being played in the city of Kalama, which is actually 400 kilometers south of Akike. I, I know I make this point every week, but just for any new listeners, you know, Akike can't play um, in their, either of their home stadiums. One, because one was damaged in an earthquake a couple of years ago and it's being re- rebuilt. And their other stadium in the city is too small. 
the, the Libertadores con mobile stay. So yeah, so they're playing their matches in Calama, which has a little bit of altitude. Quite a few Akike fans make the journey down there to support them, but they also get support from fans of other clubs who, who go along, you know, to support the Chilean side um, in the competition. Going back to the game, uh, a few minutes after the break, Kike won a free kick about 25 yards out, and Diego Torres curled it beautifully into the net to give Akike the lead. And I thought the I thought the Chilean side, you know, they played really well for the rest of the match. So really intelligent play. Um, Gremio caused them no real problems, and they kind of saw the game out with ease. I thought, even though it's just two one, they they could have made it three one in injury time. Alvaro Ramos came on and and had a couple of good chances. But overall, yeah, it's it was a really good win and performance from Akika, and it's a remarkable turnaround for them. You know, they, they looked on the verge of going out of this competition with uh, two defeats in their first two matches. The situation for them is they need to go to Paraguay and beat Guarani in their final match to qualify. And in the form they're in, in both the league and the Libertadores, you wouldn't put that past them. One thing that I wanted to mention about this game was, did anyone see the terrible, terrible scarf and shirt combination that the uh, Gremio manager was rocking? Yes. It was horrible. I thought that was, was terrible. Cool. Brazilian fashion for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I would have worn that scarf for the record. I like. I love Gremio's colors. I have to admit. Well, I like. Yeah, I like Gremio's colors, but that just wasn't feeling that fashion. scarf. <laughs> as far as Gremio are concerned with this match, I was impressed by them on the first goal, and that was about it. Uh, I thought it was a really well worked set piece. It was off a corner. It was sent into the box. Uh, Walter Kellerman, their Argentine center back, kind of flicked a header to the far post. And the man in form, Lucas Barrios, was there to, to touch it home, to make it 1-0 for Gremio away to Akike. And at that point, I certainly thought that, okay, we could see another very good Gremio performance here. Barrios has been in form for them since he arrived. Uh, it took him a bit to kind of get his feet settled. But a hat trick in the Libertadores last week, he scored a goal at the weekend in the state leagues. Or I guess that was before... He scored a goal in the state leagues um, against Novo and Burgo in a tie that they ended up losing. Uh, and then this goal against Akike. And then I thought this match really turned on the penalty. Bielkovic was able to put it away. Adam, what did you make of the call? Um, Ramiro, the defender for Gremio, went to clear a ball in the 18. His foot was certainly high. It looked to me as though he got the ball first and then made contact with the head area of an Akike player. It was an interesting penalty call. I'm not sure exactly what I think of it. What, what did you make of it? I thought it was clumsy, and I could see that why the ref gave it. Yeah, it, it's one of those. Some, sometimes you see them give them, sometimes you not. But yeah, for me, it's a penalty. Clumsy. And it was it was well taken advantage by Akike, regardless of, of whether you know anyone thinks it was a penalty or not. I thought Bielkovic did well. And then at 1-1, from that point on, this was really Akike's match. Uh, the free kick from Torres made it 2-1. And as as Adam said, Gremio really didn't threaten down the stretch. And this is a team that looked so impressive seven days before this at home. But you're not Guadani. shocked by that. You're, you're never shocked by that, Austin. I know. You know, it's the same with, with Atletico Monero. There's the two Brazilian sides that flatter to deceive yeah. all the time. Yeah, and... And I didn't think, you know, with, with Atletico Mineiro, I think some of it is due to opposition. Uh, they've scored 10 goals against Sport Boys in this competition. But Guadani are by no means Sport Boys. You know, that's a very good defensive Paraguayan side. And, and Gremio really tore them apart. 
in Porto Alegre seven days ago, and they just weren't able to replicate that against the Kike. Uh, some of that, I think, is due to the fact that they did not have Miller Bolaños, the Ecuadorian midfielder. I think some of their issues throughout this competition has been due to the fact that their regular number 10, Douglas, uh, has an extended knee injury uh, that is going to keep him out for at least until mid-July, probably longer. He's an older guy. He injured that right at the start of the year in training, so he has not factored into this Gremio squad at all. But with the attacking talent that they have that they can consistently put out on the pitch, Barrios, Pedro Hocha, Luan, you know, you'd expect a little bit more of them. And I thought this was a disappointing performance from Hinato Gaucho's side. They're still in good shape to get out of this group. Um, they have whipping boys Zamora, who have yet to, to pick up a point in this competition, coming to Porto Alegre to close this out. I think we'll get good Gremio there again. They'll probably win that by a significant number of goals. But I don't know that I can trust this team in the knockout stages because over two legs... If you get one good performance and one poor performance, I don't know that that's going to be enough consistently. And that's what we've seen from Gremio so far is they haven't been able to string it together enough to really factor into the favorites of this competition. I have, no, to, also, I have to also mention that this Group A has arguably been the most entertaining of all the groups, in, certainly in terms of goals. But it's, it's by far the group with the most goals in. Kike and Gremio are two of the sides among the top goal scorers in the competition. Um, I think only Atletico Mineral have more, actually. It's been, it's been an interesting group, but yeah, poor old Zamora at the bottom can't catch a break. I will get on to them later on, Adam. Okay, so let's move along then uh, to the next game, which saw, as I say, Gallo whipping Sport Boys 5-1 to one away from home. And again, one of these Brazilian Enigma teams that turn up one week and go missing the next. But as Austin said, the, the bang 10 past Sport Boys in, in recent weeks. And, you know, so, don't get me wrong, when, when Gallo are in form, they're, they're a nice team to watch, Tom. Yes, definitely. I mean, this game really uh, separated the men from the sport boys, didn't it? I mean, the sport boys' defence was absolutely terrible for about three or four of the goals. Um, Casares got an absolute gift to start the the routes, and then um, Otero, I thought, had quite a good game. Robbed robbed the uh, the defender high up the pitch, and and then Rafa Mura was able to f- finish it off. Um, I mean, they did get back into it. It it wasn't long before Mineiro on the charge again. And I mean, just to sort of summarise their their night was Otero's free kick that just absolutely bamboozled the goalkeeper. Cazares had a really good game in general. Um, I've I've been a fan of his since you know he was coming through at River and Banfield over in Argentina, and I thought he's done well for Ecuador when he's when he's been given the chance. So yeah, it was it was good to show you know what they're capable of, but I don't think uh, we can read too much into it because as we've said before, this is a team that can. Uh, um, flatter to deceive um, and one week can be brilliant next week can be bang average so yeah I mean a nice little win to, to get their, their stats up but then they qualify from the group because of that result but I think we've yet to see them really really tested and Austin for you again the good side of, uh, of Gallo uh, came to the front here and you know I think themselves and Godoy Cruz are, are already through in this group you never know what you're going to get with uh, Atletico Monero do you? You don't. And, and Adam brought up when we were talking about Gremio that uh, Atletico Mineiro are the highest scoring team in this competition. They scored 13 goals. Uh, that stat is a bit padded because, as we've said, they scored 10 of them against Sport Boys. <laughs> they put five past them at the Independencia, and then they racked five more past them here away from home. So, you know, read into that what you will. 
I I don't know. It's hard to, as Tom said, it's hard to take a lot from this match. Um, Kazadis impressed me as well. Uh, Gallo actually had an eye on the state leagues. Uh, they will play the second leg of their state league final against their bitter rivals Cruzeiro on the weekend. That first leg finished nil nil, so the second leg will decide it. Uh, so they sat Fredji and Halbino in this match. They started on the bench, and neither of them ended up coming on. Um, this was Hazard Machado basically saying, I think that my B-plus team can get the job done. Obviously, they, they very clearly were able to. Cazades impressed. A decent match, again, from Otero. He did the thing that he does really well, which is take free kicks. Uh, and just a shockingly bad bit of goalkeeping from Adias, the, the Sport Boys goalkeeper who was leaning the wrong way and then didn't even really get a hand to a free kick from Otero that he should have been able to stop. It was a it was a horrible performance, really, throughout the backline for Sport Boys, just time in and time again. You know, at the start of this competition, they put up some fights. They were up on Atletico Mineiro uh, in Belo Horizonte before things kind of fell apart. But the last couple of weeks, I think we've really seen who the, the Sport Boys are as far as their level of competition is. And they're just getting blown out of the water by far the worst defense in this competition. Uh, 18 goals now conceded. Peñarol, the second worst, 15 conceded. So there's a significant gap in between there. Uh, Atletico Mineiro and Godoy Cruz are now out of this group. So they will play to determine who will end up winning this group. Uh, We'll get one of those lovely dead rubbers uh, between Sport Boys and Libertad to finish out this group, which could be either incredibly intriguing or or terrible. I don't know what to make of Gallo heading into the knockout stages. Uh, I think the pieces are all there. Uh, The defense, when tested, hasn't done great. It'll be interesting to see how they do against Godoy Cruz. I'm interested to see how they do against Cruzeiro at the weekend because Cruzeiro certainly have some dangerous attacking options here in Brazil. So we'll see for Gallo. I think the jury is still out on them. Inconsistency is probably going to be what keeps them from winning this competition in the end, uh, that and the defense. But the attacking pieces are all there. And when they're on, they, they can play some beautiful football as they showed in this match. Indeed they can. Well, listen, moving along to another team who played very, very well last week, another Brazilian side who played very, very well last week, and maybe not so this week, in the form of Atletico Paranese. And I'll come to Tom first on this one. They were playing San Lorenzo, went down 3-0 at home to San Lorenzo, who are fast becoming, thanks to Adam and his wonder wall a couple of weeks back, um, are fast becoming my little fascination in Argentina, and I'm, and I'm 100% behind them getting out of this group. I really, really want to see them go on. I think they have a, a, a wonderful fan base, wonderful set of supporters. They look like a real fun club, but they played very, very well in this one. As I say, Paranese had put Flamengo to the sword last week with, with what could have said, consummate ease, but San Lorenzo just took the game to them this time and really pasted them. Yeah, I mean, it was an absolutely huge result for San Lorenzo. They really needed this win to give them a hope of qualifying. I mean, they still only level um, with Paranaense on points, and I think they're only heading on goal difference. So they're still not out of the woods yet, but um, they really showed their kind of tournament pedigree because, you know, when they won this a few years back, they they struggled to get out of uh, quite a difficult group that year, uh, if memory serves me. And you know they they know when the chips are down they can they can pull off a big result um, against anyone and you know there there were worries earlier in the season was the Diego Aguirre the manager going to stay but you know I think they're they're finally hitting a bit of form at the right time 
and you know it's it's a tough place to go we've mentioned it on the pod before with the artificial pitch we've you know in argentina a lot of lot of concern about that going into the game but they um yeah they they really impressed me for sort of one of the first times this this calendar year anyway their first goal was a, a really nice planned set piece routine it was kind of a short corner that was then sort of a little one two that dinked to the back post where uh, diaz the chilean center back sort of thumped a, a header in which which was I don't know about you guys, but it was very, very satisfying, you know, to see that come off so nicely. In the second half, they got kind of the key goal that really ki- killed the tie. Great cross from Belushi, who's last year was one of the best players in the Argentinian league. Um, and he found Nico Blandi to head in at the far post. Bland- Blandi's a, an interesting striker, really, because uh, his, his stats don't necessarily blow you away when you when you see them. But he's, he's never really got a proper chance um, at the clubs. He started off at Boca. Then moved to San Lorenzo, had a little spell in France before coming back to San Lorenzo. And now he's about 27 and he looks like he's actually reaching his peak, you know, in terms of actual starts like and the amount of goals. He, he's almost, almost a one in two kind of man these days. And, and now that uh, Martin Gauturucho has gone, he's he looks like the main striker. And I think, you know, if, if he stays in some good form, then that, that could bode really well for San Lorenzo. They finally got the third one in injury time. Uh, Ruben Botta, another guy who's had to come back to Argentina to to really prove himself after a bit of a terrible time in Italy. He found some space in the box, far, far too much time to be honest, but he, he's finished smartly. All in all, just a really good result for San Lorenzo, who, yeah, as you say, are are an, en- an enjoyable team. They've got a good set of fans. They've they've been through a lot with their um, their stadium move. You know, they were homeless for various years, and and they're finally getting back to their um, symbolic home in Boedo in in Buenos Aires. So yeah, they're 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 a good team to follow, and you can join their celebrity fans as num- number three behind Viggo Mortensen and the Pope. Well, there you go. As I say, I, I'm very impressed by their band, Tom. To be honest with you, as I say, uh, as I say, Adam Brand started this with the, with, the, with the Wonderwall thing he did a couple of weeks ago, and, I, and I've been on YouTube investigating them. And it, you know, I, I plan on going down there at some point this year, and. Uh, and you know, there's Baca and there's River, but I, I, for whatever reason, I'm sort of drawn to San Lorenzo. Yeah, I mean, they're they're one of the five grandes of uh, of Argentinian football. They've got great history. I mean, their Libertadores win a few years ago was actually the first time they'd won it. So, you know, the joke because um, their initials spell um, well, Club Atlético San Lorenzo de Almagro, so C A S L A. But um, so all the the joke was. Sin Libertadores basically was uh, the way they changed it. The uh, the only Argentinian top five club that hadn't won it, but then they kind of got that monkey off their back. And yeah, they're 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 a great team. Like I I definitely say if you're going to go and watch them in the Nuevo Gasometro, it's it's a bit of a sketchy area, probably one of the sketchiest areas in Buenos Aires to go watch a football match. But in terms of the atmosphere in there, it's uh, yeah, it's fantastic and and definitely definitely something a bit different to your rivers in your pockets uh, after living in rio for nearly a year i know sketchy areas <laughs> not really that much of a problem but listen austin atletico paranese were not very good this week and, and you know as I, as I said after the impressive performance they put in against flamengo last week this was a bit of a surprise in one sense yes in another sense no they're another one of these teams that are kind of like botafogo that I just don't think are very good. Uh, I was surprised to see them lose by this margin at home. As Tom mentioned, the artificial surface. Uh, in past years, they'd, they'd been very good at home. 
And that was not the case. That had, really hasn't been the case this year in this competition. Uh, Catolica pegged them back from, from 2-0 down to, to steal a point 2-2. Uh, they beat Flamengo at home, and, and then they just really got blown out by, by San Lorenzo. There's really no other way to put it. They were never in this match, conceded early, conceded in the middle, and then conceded late. There's nobody on this team that you really think, okay, can go and make a play happen. Lucho Gonzalez is not at the point when he can play that role anymore. Uh, they signed Eduardo da Silva, the Croatian international naturalized Brazilian. He hasn't really done all that much for them thus far. Uh, Felipe Jados is an intriguing player for certain. Has his moments, but is not consistent enough. And on, and on this night, the defense didn't hold their end of the bargain. And, and that resulted in a 3-0 loss for them. Interestingly enough, it's now back-to-back 3-0 losses at home for Paranaense. Over the weekend, their bitter rivals, Coritiba, beat them in the first leg of their state league final. Um, so they're, they're a club that's not in a good position right now. Uh, this group is going to be very, very intriguing down the stretch to see what happens on that final match day. Uh, Paranaense go away to Catolica. Flamengo go away to San Lorenzo. We'll get into that in a little bit when we talk about Flamengo. But a poor performance from Paranaense. I don't think there's really any other any other way to put it. And San Lorenzo are a team kind of like Atletico Nacional that are charging. They're in a better position than Atletico Nacional is. And I think San Lorenzo have what it takes to get out of this group four. And I think they can make a run in this competition. Um, Paranaense, I think they're going to struggle in the domestic league as well. They're a mid-table team. They got into the Libertadores. They made a little bit of a run, but there's just not enough there for me. No, and when we consider how you know San Lorenzo limped to a start of this tournament, that they've they've really turned it around. But listen, we'll, we'll move on to the other game in this group. And and sadly, Adam, you know, it was three one to Flamengo on the night against uh, Universidad Católica, and three one is, is a little bit flattering to be honest with you. The game was a lot closer than that, but this loss really doesn't help. Uh, Catholico out very much, does it? No, it doesn't. And and like you say, there really wasn't much in this one. Uh, but a moment of brilliance when the match was tied at 1-1. Uh, a moment of brilliance from Paolo Guerrero, the Peruvian international striker, made the difference. Yeah, it's frustrating because I think Catholico were, were slightly the better side in the first half, but they couldn't quite find that opening goal. Fuenza leader, Chilean international, Mr. One-on-one about halfway through the first half. And I think if that goes in, then Flamengo would have had to chase the game. And I think we're talking about a different result here tonight. I think it's a difficult situation for Universidad Catolica now. They're the only side in their group that don't control their destiny. And just a point from this match really would have proved so valuable. They fell behind at the start of the second half. Um, Quiero hit a terrible free kick into a wall, a Flamengo player on the edge of the box. Help me out here, Austin. Who was it? It was Hojine, who they brought on as a halftime substitute. He hit a, he hit a perfect shot into the corner of the net uh, to give Flamengo the lead. And Flamengo at that point seemed in control of the game. I thought that was actually the moment where I, I, I was struggling to see how Catolico were going to get back into the game. Because another problem Catolico had in this match was I thought that the referee blew for a lot of a lot of decisions he didn't let the match flow at all and that's very much to the detriment of of Catolica's game they usually need matches to be quite free-flowing to be at their best 
The game was too stop-start for their liking, and they could never get a rhythm going. And interestingly enough, Katolika's equaliser came about through the one time where I thought the referee let a possible foul just go. Katolika were able to construct a beautiful move, which ended with Fionza leader making up for his first half miss with a perfect cross for Santiago Silva to head home. And at that point, you're thinking, oh, maybe Katolika could even go on and win this. You could see that the crowd in the Maracanã, which was a fabulous crowd, it has to be said, but pretty much packed there in Rio, which was great to see. But yeah, you could see that they were very nervous at 1-1. Like I said earlier, a moment of brilliance from Paolo Guerrero made all the difference in this one, and Flamengo sealed the game late on through another Peruvian, uh, Miguel Truco to make it 3-1. So, like hearing the interviews from, from Mario Salas, the Catholica boss and the players today, you know, they were very down in the dumps, very disappointed. Uh, having come away with zero points from San Lorenzo last week in this match, this week when they've played well enough to probably get at least two points from those two games. Yeah, it's, it's very frustrating for them. But, you know, as Mario Salas said in his post-match press conference you know you can't afford to make them defensive mistakes they did in this game and yeah that looks like it will probably cost them like they're going to need a favor from Flamengo in Buenos Aires in in that last game and, and Catolica of course also have to take care of beating Atletico Paranaense as well at home which will probably not be easy and Austin, you know, as, as Adam points out there, I would, you know, Flamengo, you know, they've they've won all their games in the Maracana, a superb atmosphere there. It's just a pity they had more than two songs. That's and that's the same two songs that old Brazilian teams sing. It's the weirdest culture in the world for football, especially a, a stadium that magnificent and that that crowd in there. But Flamengo away from the Maracana are a different animal. And you know, s- sitting this evening, I would have to make San Lorenzo big favourites for that. Um, that, that time next week. But they're doing just... It's almost like the strongest in many ways, Austin. You know, they're, they're, they're brilliant at home. It's almost that Maracanã gives them that that advantage. Um, and, you know, if they do slip into the knockout stages, the Maracanã effect could carry them maybe further than their ability. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I think there's something to be said for, for what Flamengo have been able to do at the Maracanã in this competition, especially when you look at what they failed to do away from it. Um, and that is, I think, what would worry me most if I were a Catolica supporter. For Catolica to get out of this group, you need Flamengo to go away from home and get a result against San Lorenzo. I don't know how, how great I would be feeling about that possibility, to be honest with you. And, and that's where I think things will be difficult for Catolica to get out of this group. For Flamengo, it, it almost felt like there was a little magic in the Medicana because as Adam said, the first goal came from nothing. It was a free kick in a good position, albeit, but Guijero took it so poorly straight into the bottom half of the wall and it deflected and it floated and it, it landed straight at the feet of Haljine, who then made a top-class finish to put Flamengo 1-0 up. And then Guijero, who for the most part had been invisible in this match, popped up with a moment of brilliance to, to pull that 2-1 and then, as Adam said, Trauco to finish it off late. I thought Flamengo were a bit fortunate. I will say I thought Mar- Marcio Araujo, their defensive midfielder, played well in this match, snuffing out some opportunities for Catolica. I think Flamengo are going to get out of this group now. I don't think they're going to, to do it on their own merit, necessarily. Uh, I would peg Fl- San Lorenzo to beat Flamengo. 
and I suppose Padanayansi could then get out ahead of Flamengo should they beat Catolica. But I think both the home sides will win in these final round of fixtures, which will come two weeks from now, as we have a break next week in which River are the only team that will play. Um, and so I think Flamengo and Salmonenso are going to get out. And it'll be very intriguing to see what Flamengo can do with that Medicana behind them at home. But are they going to be able, as you said, Dave, to do enough away from it to make a real run in this competition? And that's something interesting to watch. I don't know if they've been able to do enough to really convince me. Uh, but at home, they've been certainly tough to beat. And it's going to be a difficult place to go in and play because it's one of the best atmospheres in football. And it's shown itself again. And it's, it's great to have that back after the stretch of time where it was really unavailable and Flamengo were hopping around the entirety of Brazil. You know, you look at the map of what they did last year, where they played their matches. It's good to have them back at the Medicana. It's how it should be for Flamengo in these big matches in Libertadores. So, you know, happy for them for that. Happy for their fans to have that experience. I think they're going to get out of this group. Beyond that, we'll see how far that wave of the Medicana can take them. Tom, for, for your own point of view here, you know, that this game coming up, San Lorenzo against Flamengo, I, I take it, like like myself, you you would have San Lorenzo as favourites for that one? Yeah, I think I'd have them as favourites, but maybe only narrow favourites. I, th- I think maybe Flamengo's away form is, is probably something that will give San Lorenzo fans hope, but it's it's so tight that there's so many different permutations that you never know. They could fluff their lines, draw against uh, Flamengo, and Cadolica could get that that win against uh, Paranaense, and and the goal difference is so tight between San Lorenzo, Paranaense, and Cadolica that it really could go any way. Like there's there always seems to be one group every year that has the final spot going down to the very last minute of injury time, and you know it could be this group. Um, I think I agree with Austin. I think there'll probably be positive home results for in in the last round of fixtures for both. And Catolica might just miss out, but you never know. It's uh, I think it's definitely one of the, the tightest and most intriguing ones to keep an eye on. No, absolutely it is. Well, listen, we'll, we'll move forward. And, you know, Palmeiras often have been threatened to have their ass kicked the whole way through this tournament. And it finally happened. And what's more, uh, as we sort of alluded to on, on the earlier part of the pod, Eduardo Batista finds himself out of a job this evening. Um, so, so first of all, Jorge Wilson beat Palmeiras uh, three to two. Talk us through what what your interpretation of this game was, and also, you know, the events after it, and and where you see that leaving Palmeiras maybe for the rest of this tournament. Yeah, for sure. So, um, Palmeiras on the road against a Bolivian side at altitude, always probably going to be a tough task, even if it is, you know, a Wilsterman side. Um, Wilsterman were up for this match. Certainly a historic result for them as a club. They were the better side over 90 minutes. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it was kind of the same old bogeys for Palmeiras. The things that they've struggled with. Uh, set pieces that provided the first goal for Wilsterman. A great bit of individual play for Machado provided the second goal. A hit from outside the box that had Fernando Pras easily beaten. Uh, just like that, they're 2-0 up. Palmeiras got one back right before halftime. Uh, a well-worked corner that ended up coming down to Alejandro Guerra, the Venezuelan, uh, in, in the box. He was able to put it home with a lot of pace past Olivares. That got them back to 2-1. Uh, they had some opportunities to get this back to 2-2. And then a, a poor defensive play uh, from Jeanne, their right back, who I said last week was their, their best player 
against Peñarol. He was certainly not their best player on the night against Wilsterman. Uh, a bad mistake for him. Uh, let a Wilsterman player go in behind. Fernando Pras, the Palmeiras goalkeeper, came off his line, made a challenge, missed the ball, got the man, easy penalty, converted well by Cardoso for 3-1. Palmeiras got a glimmer of hope then on a truly spectacular own goal uh, from Wilsterman's Cabezas, the substitute, who it, it legitimately looked like he was attempting to head it into his own net. He beat his goalkeeper well. Palmeiras were back to 3-2. He thought, all right, here they go. They're going to pull the comeback again. Uh, but this time there was no comeback. Uh, Wilsterman did enough to see out this match. It is an absolutely vital three points for the Bolivians, who could very well see themselves getting out of this group at this point, which would be a tremendous, tremendous result for them. Uh, it'll come down to what they're able to do against the Peñarol team that, as I said earlier, is not going to have much motivation. As for Palmeiras, it was a weak performance. Really nobody that, that stood out. Um, Jayan, as I said, was poor. Dudu, Palmeiras' captain and midfielder, was, was really nowhere to be found in this match. Vitor Hugo, the center back who was filling in for uh, Edu, Edu Dracena, who was injured. His continued downfall. He played very, very poorly once again. Uh, he got sent off against Tucumán in Palmeiras' first Libertadores match. This is a player that, at this point last year, was Palmeiras' only stable defender. And now he's become an absolute weak link at the back for Verdown. Uh, so Adudra Sena cannot return too soon. It's tough to watch with Vitor Hugo, but he's he's really played poorly. Um, Cheche didn't do all that much in the midfield. Jose Gedges, I thought, played fairly well uh, on the right wing. But beyond that, it just wasn't there for Verdown. Uh, and as you said, Dave, that cost Eduardo Batista his job. Certainly on the surface, this is a bit of a shocking move. Um, just 23 matches for Batista in charge of Palmeiras. He took over at the start of the year. This is the first. He's a veteran, absolute veteran. Most of them don't get the three, never mind the 20. <laughs> the first Libertadores loss for Palmeiras. Uh, he lost five matches overall. Um, I think it was tough for this team to take the 3 0 loss that they were handed by Ponchi Preta. A near disastrous performance against Peñarol was, was turned over, uh, but then this match was poor. But I think more than anything, the reasoning for the firing is the rumblings appear to be that Palmeiras are going to be able to bring back Kuka, who was the manager who took them to their domestic league title last year. Uh, he stepped down from the position at the end of last year, said that he needed some time away from the game. He's gotten that time, five months. The signs appear to be that he is ready to return to managing. There was a report tonight that he had been contacted by a Chinese side that was interested in acquiring his services to manage them. And I think that kind of forced the hand of Palmeiras because if they're going to make a change, I think Kuka's the man that they want to bring in to manage this team. He was very successful with them last year. It's a lot of the same players with a couple of, of, of key additions. And so I think that's where Palmeiras are going to look to go. For me, that's going to determine whether this is a good decision to let Eduardo Baptista go or a bad decision. If they're able to bring Kuka back, I think it's worth it. It's tough on Baptista. I think it's a bit unfair on him. 23 matches is by no means enough. I don't think he did necessarily anything wrong. It was always going to be a tough task. But if Palmeiras can bring Kuka back, I understand it. If they can't, and if they have to settle for a random member of the Brazilian managerial merry-go-round... Um, then I think this is a poor decision. And I think it could set up a cycle where they have to change managers again before this year is out. 
As far as the competition is concerned, they're still in a pretty good spot. The only way that Palmatis would go out of this competition is if they lose by multiple goals to Tucumán and Wilsterman get a result away to Peñarol. So if Palmatis simply draw at home to Tucumán or defeat Tucumán, then they're through. If they lose by one goal, they're also through. If they lose by multiple goals, but Peñarol beat Wilsterman, then they're through. They're probably getting out of this group. I think this move was made with the hopes of bettering this side going forward from there. And if Kuka's the man who comes in, I think you could see a better Palmeiras side. Uh, there's a bit of a lull, as much of a lull as you get in Brazilian football. By that, I mean 10 days uh, before Palmeiras play their next match, which is a downright holiday for some of these players. Uh, they'll make their debut in the domestic league on May 14th. And then the matches will come fast and furious after that with a Copa do Brazil round of 16 tie midweek, then another league match. And then they're pretty much playing midweek and on the weekend for the foreseeable future. Uh, so this was the time to make a change. If it is Kuka who comes in, you know, we'll see. As far as Wilstermen are concerned, as I said, this is a great result for them. They are now tie, they are now one point back of Palmeiras in second place on nine points. They've played well at home in this competition. Almost stole a point away to Palmeiras. It's going to be what can they do away from home against Peñarol to see if they can get out of this group. I don't think they want to leave it to Palmeiras to beat Tucumán. I think Wilsterman will want to do this out of their own control, and I think they have what it takes to do it. I don't think they'll go very far once they get out of this group, but just getting out of this group will be a remarkable result for this side. Austin. I'm guessing you didn't go their official Twitter account after this one. Did not go their official <laughs> Twitter account after this one, though I was ready. I thought we were going to pull it back for 3-3. We had it in the back of the net, but it was easily offside. I'm not terribly concerned about Palmetis yet. I want to see where this managerial uh, change goes. Um, it was a poor performance. They were not the better side. But away to a Bolivian side, I think it's understandable. You, you didn't get a message from them, Ben. I didn't stoop to your level. They did not. They did not. I guess they're the ones getting paid to do it, and I'm the one doing it for free. So, you know, standards, I suppose. Question for you, question for you Adam. You know, we've listened to Austin there, and he always explained Palmeiras are, are top of the group, and, and the league starts next week. And they sacked their manager because of some loss to uh, Ponte Preci, uh in the state leagues. I, that's, that's not what I said. What? They sacked their manager because I think they had the chance to get their manager who led them to a title back. I think that, yeah, that you is think, the primary. You think, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's something that may or may not be. I'm going on the hard fact evidence here. And it just, even at that, even at that, changing a manager like that, it's, it's just... It's just madness. You could understand if they weren't top of the group in the Libertadores, they are. Their league season hasn't started, and this is this is the craziness of Brazil. I I, I don't know. Like I I live here. I watch this football, and I just cannot get the manager merry-go-round here. It it sometimes it just leaves you breathless. Yeah, I I think it's unusual, sort of. You know, from our British perspective on things, to see managers get changed so often. But I have to say that. You know, I have been mightily unimpressed by Palmeiras in this competition. And I think that, that Baptista's been sacked pretty much that more down to performances rather than results. Yeah, I, I know they suffered that loss, that 3 0 defeat to Ponte Preta in, uh, is it? In, uh, in the Brazilian State League. But yeah, it, it's, it's not so much that result. I think it's the combination of these dodgy performances. 
where you know they've had to wait until the last minute of injury time to get wins against you know a fairly poor Penarol side and uh, at home and also you know a Bolivian side at home I, th- I think that's the real reason here combined with that opportunity to bring their old manager back I think this well, listen, is, let's- it's, a, it's a preemptive move more than anything as Adam said I think the signs were there and this is a team that disappointed in this competition last year and probably waited too long to make the change and so I think they're trying to avoid that we'll see if it works out but I think that's the motivation well, listen, let's move forward into the night's games and, and our hipster choice on this podcast. The strongest being the strongest. They absolutely whipped Sporting Cristal 5-1. Uh, to one. Some magnificent goals in there. Some uh, Even the even the Sporting Cristal goal was, was, was a good goal. Tom, I'll, I'll give you first shout at this one. I was thrilled again. Uh, I know that, uh, that they'd, they'd been slightly sort of not themselves the strongest the last time we saw them, but they're back home again and Sporting Cristal well and truly got La Paz. Yeah, it was um, about as one-sided victory as you'll see. And it's it great to see the strongest back um, back to their full potential that we saw earlier on, on in the tournament. Um, as you said, there were some great goals. Everyone's favourite, Chumacero, got um, a lovely goal. I think that was the second one with a nice uh, finish from the edge of the area. I thought, I thought they were... Um, a little bit fortunate with the penalty. Um, I mean, I can see what it was given, but yeah, the, the sort of cross came in and this defender lunged in and his sort of hand was behind him and it just kind of went through his legs and hit his hand. I don't think there was a, a movement towards the ball and that kind of just opened the floodgates really. I mean, I think it was going to come regardless of that penalty decision or not, but um, yeah, they really looked in, in fine fettle and Alonso got a brace Chumacero was was great and um yeah good, good um free kick from uh Martelli as well um there were quite a few uh good free kicks this week in in the Libertadores and yeah I just thought absolutely absolutely brilliant from uh the strongest uh what do you make of it Adam yeah I, I think their key man you know Alonso Chumacero Escobar were all back to their best tonight um, I think I said on the pod a couple of weeks ago that their key men hadn't even hadn't been playing, or 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 when they did play, you know they weren't quite at the races. But you know, dis- despite the weakness of the opposition, like you say, Tom, I think we've seen the strongest get back to their best tonight. I think they have a home game against Santos coming up in a couple of weeks. Win that, and um, and they're, and they're definitely advanced to the next round. And possibly as group winners as well. No, Austin? Exactly. And the strongest are another one of these teams that have been a bit different home and away. We definitely saw them pick up some away results against lesser teams earlier on in this competition. But regardless of who they've faced, they've been, you have to say, incredibly strong at home in La Paz. Uh, this is now 16 goals for and one goal against. And it was an own goal in La Paz. So that is a terrific number. They have the altitude on their side. They have a talented front line that can run at a tired back line of an opposition. It's the strongest are, are another team along with Nacional of Uruguay that are two teams that I think big sides do not want to see in the knockout stages because of what they can do, how they can change a match. And of course that La Paz effect. So they were back on point Dreadful from Sporting Cristal. Peruvian sides have been lost in this competition, uh, but good to see the Bolivians play well. 
Right, so what we'll do, guys, is we'll move into the other game in this group. And, you know, Austin, I'll stick with you on this one. This is, this is, a, this is a bizarre one. It gave us four goals in the first half from two very unfashionably high-scoring teams. They don't normally do this in the form of Santos, Santa Fe. It ended up 3-2 to the home team, Santos. Not really what you would have expected, but what did you make of it? Exactly what you said. Santa Fe played an exciting match of football, and that doesn't happen very often. They went behind three times in this match, and they pulled it back twice. They were just unable to find it that third time. Santos got started very quickly. I think Santa Fe uh, came to the Pacambu uh, in Sao Paulo. This match, of course, was played in Sao Paulo. Santos are a club from Santos, which is a city outside of Sao Paulo. Uh, But due to their history, they do have a lot of support in the big city of Sao Paulo. Pacambu, which is a municipal stadium in Sao Paulo, uh, is a bigger stadium than Santos's traditional home stadium, the Vila Bamiro. So they have traditionally played some big matches there. So they moved this match in the in the Libertadores group stage from Santos to Sao Paulo. Had a great home atmosphere. It's gr- always great to see good football at the Pacambu, which is a lovely little stadium in Sao Paulo. Um, I think Santa Fe came into this match trying to hold on to what they started with. They said, all right, we've got nil-nil. Let's see how long we can keep that. Unfortunately for them, it was four minutes. A mistake at the back played Lucas Lima in two-on-one. He centered for Ricardo Oliveira, who left no doubts about it. Just like that, one-nil. Santa Fe got back into this one-one after a a shot from distance went off the crossbar. um, And Arango was eventually able to put it home for one-one. They were level for all of about 60 seconds before Santos got through for their second. And then off of a set piece, Santa Fe got this back to 2-2. And it looked like it was going to stay that way. And then Santos got a third off of another set piece. Lucas Verissimo, their center back, was in free in the six and was able to put it home for 3-2. Not a bad performance from Santa Fe offensively. But when you're a club like them who prides their identity in their defense, you can't give up three goals, and you especially can't give up three goals in a match like this in the way that they did because of mistakes at the back. And that was the difference for them, and that probably is going to be the difference in getting out of this group and not getting out of this group. Better from Santos offensively. I thought Lucas Lima was better in this match than we've seen him at any point in this competition. Had the assist to Ricardo Oliveira for the first goal. Just overall played better than I think he'd played. Um, the defensive Santos had some issues, especially on the set piece. Santa Fe are a big, strong team, so some of that is certainly understandable. Santos are a team that are going to be interesting to watch because they have a lot of attacking talent. They can be very pacey on the counterattack. This match really set up well for them in that if Santos can grab an early goal, uh, then they're going to try to to bet, to get you on the counterattack and to get another one and finish it off. But this was this was good for Santos. Better from Santa Fe. But I don't think it's going to be enough to get them out of this group. I think Santos and the strongest are going to be the two teams that come out of this group for me. Yeah, I'd agree that I think uh, Santa Fe have left it a little bit too late. Um, you know, I, I didn't catch too much of this game, I'll be honest. Um, like I kind of expected it to be a pretty dull draw. And and I was uh, watching uh, Godoy Cruz instead. And then I just looked over at halftime and saw Austin had tweeted that it was 2-2. And I was like what's going on here? Well, where have all these goals come from? So no, I did catch a bit at the end and even that was really entertaining. Um, I think maybe Santos, they're unbeaten still. They haven't, they haven't been like hitting 
third gear, fourth gear, fifth gear yet. But, you know, I think there's more to come from them, hopefully. And they, they have some interesting young players. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I think uh, a very entertaining match. It seems like we always get them right at the end of, uh, of the game week. No, indeed. Well, Tom, I'm, I'm going to stick with you uh, because the next game up uh, saw Goyoy Cruz secure their place in, in the knockout phases uh, with a 1-1 draw at home to Libertad. What, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, again, it was Goyoy Cruz sort of comfortably going about their business and, and I think they've been a bit of uh, one of the dark horses of the, uh, of the tournament so far. And they knew that a draw would be good enough to take them through and, and being at home over in uh, Mendoza, I think, they were always confident of of seeing that out. Um, they they really dominated the first twenty minutes. Um, they um, quite interestingly they had uh, Diego Poget, the son of Gus, um, playing. So yeah, he was uh, he was in midfield. I didn't even realise he'd uh, he joined them actually, but he's he yeah. played a couple of the games in the Libertadores now. Because he, he he grew up in England, didn't he? So he I think he's a product of either West Ham or Charlton's academy. Yeah, I, I think he came that. through Charlton and then. Um, kind of left a bit acrimoniously on a free to to West Ham, which didn't go down too well. But um, yeah, he's kind of uh, bounced around a few places, and and now he's at Godoy Cruz. So I was interested to see him. And there was also another familiar face from the Premier League of uh, Alcaraz, surprisingly getting a start for someone other than Roberto Martinez. Yeah, it was um, it was it was all quite poised, and then out of nowhere, Libertad actually took the lead. Um, Danilo Santa Cruz got a good downward header. I thought uh, the Godoy Cruz keeper, Rodrigo Ray, should have done a bit better. You know, he got his hands to it, but it wasn't wasn't enough. So that kind of made for an interesting shift in the in the dynamic of the game, really, because um, Godoy Cruz actually had to come forward and and make sure they didn't lose the game. Um, so that that kind of gave Libertad a bit more room, um, and and they, they they sort of had a flurry of these chances, and Ray sort of atone for his error with um with some really good saves um particularly i think ramirez had a shot um towards the end of the half um that he he, he tipped around the post just when it looked like they were losing the grip on the game got cruz actually managed to equalize they they got a turnover high up the field um javier correa who'd, who'd missed quite a good chance early on brought it forward his shot was blocked it fell to angel gonzalez who then squared it for the local boy garo um, to sort of tap into an empty net, and and from that point on, you kind of thought, okay, yeah, they've they've got this now. They've they've shown enough throughout the tournament that they've they've been really, really composed and a really solid unit. Um, not really many star names in the team. Um, they've got a couple of good Paraguayan centre backs who are pretty uh, uncompromising. Um, I quite like their sort of forward line of Correa as the as the spearheads, and then they've got. Uh, Angel Gonzalez, who's been who's been someone I've been really impressed with, although he did get sent off for a, a pretty bad challenge late on. Um, and then they've also got Garo, who you mentioned, the goal scorer, and also Gaston Jimenez, their sort of sort of big number ten, who's he's kind of got that um, guile to his game, but he's um, he's also got a presence, a physical presence on the pitch. The uh, the commentator just kept referring to him as RoboCop for for the, the game, which was, was a bit odd, but um, that's you know that's the type of player he is. Um, and then and they could bring on players like uh, Guillermo Paul Fernandez, who came through at Boca, who's a good little player. And um, yeah, they just they kind of the rest of the second half was pretty uneventful. A little bit of uh, handbags at the end after the red card, um, and, a, and a very very good save from Ray again, right at the death, 
almost in the last kick of the game. And uh, yeah, they're still unbeaten. I think top of the group now with 11 points and, and through to the next round, which I certainly didn't have them um, down as um, at the start of the tournament, especially in the manner which they've done it. You know, getting through is, a, is a, an absolutely historic achievement for them. So so hats off to them. And quietly efficient uh, would, be, would be the way I would describe them. Okay, so let's move on into the final game of this week's round. And it saw Zamora go down at 3-1 at home to Guarani of Paraguay. And Zamora, sadly, the only team in the tournament with zero points uh, at this stage. Uh, haven't, haven't managed to, to do anything. Adam, I know you watched this one. Now. I watched it myself. And Zamora weren't that bad you know they were they were in the game and, and a bit a bit like the uh the flamengo game we talked about you know 3-1 is it's is, is maybe a little bit harsh a scoreline that they certainly had had their chances did zamora especially at 2-1 to, to pull it back at two or three great chances um you know albeit guarani were probably the dominant force in the game for me it was a it was a game where it seemed obvious how it was going to go after just about five minutes, really. Zamora, like they did in their two matches against Akike, just looked far too open at the back. And it was so easy for Guarani to get in behind their defence. Garcia opened the scoring after 15 minutes to give the Paraguayans a lead. Marcelo Palau, a player I've praised a lot on this podcast, in this Libertadores, he got another goal in this tournament to make it 2-0. And Guarani had chances make it three or four. Zamora did come back into the game just before half-time. Um, Eduardo Sosa got one back with a nice finish from the edge of the box into the corner. And in the second half, I thought Zamora were were a lot better. They had a couple of great chances to equalise, even before uh, Guarani made it 3-1, around the hour mark of this of this match. But yeah, overall, it was a deserved victory for the Paraguayans, I thought. And they go into the last match in this group, needing just to draw against Akike to go through. I think it's fair to say Zamora have been probably the weakest side in the in the Libertadores this year. Weaker than Sport Boys for you? I think Sport Boys get my Yeah, vote. well, I was going to mention this earlier, but Sport Boys, I thought they were pretty competitive in those first couple of games they played. And that sacking of Azcogorda, their manager, before just before hours before their their match um, last week uh, against Godai Cruz was uh, it was a diabolical decision and these last two weeks that they've looked they've looked terrible yeah I th- I think overall the more of a fact they got zero points from five games in not a particularly uh, not a particularly tough group they even managed to lose a match they were winning in the ninety second minute. Uh, last week, yeah, says it all, just nowhere near good enough defensively. Well, listen, guys, uh, we have covered everything, and uh, as I say, we, we've rambled on a little bit, so we'll bring it to a close there, and before we go, we'll take a run around the table. As always, I'll start with Tom, who, you know, basically, he, he can go for breakfast about this time. We've kept him up enough time now, he can he can officially have breakfast. Tom, first of all, thank you for that. And uh, where can we find you on Twitter? Anything you're working on, anything you want to plug, please feel free. Cheers, Dave. It's been a pleasure to be on. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at TomRobbo89, doing various bits on South American football. I've got a piece up on Sebastian Driussi, the River Plate forward, who's been, who's been linked with a fair few clubs, such as Spurs. I've got that up on yeah, ESD 
analysis with you know lots of nice videos and stuff as well so yeah give that check that out um and yeah look just got the under 20 world cup um edging ever closer so you know the teams are up for that now and i'll, I'll be doing a few pieces around that and and the end of the argentinian season which is uh, about a month and a half away now so yeah lots lots going on there so just check me out on twitter no problem and hopefully you'll come and tell us all about the uh, the the, the under 20 world cup when it happens as well would, would love you to have you back for that yeah certainly it would be my pleasure austin yourself where can we find you what are you working on commentating on to tell us all i am at austin underscore james 906 on twitter um plenty of live tweets tonight was a busy night man a lot going on had that exciting santos match and then right in the middle of it palmetas decide in the span of like 20 minutes that they're going to make a managerial change and it all happens so fast. Uh, but you can follow all of that um, on my Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Coming up on the website, um, there is going to be my annual Brazilia Down preview. I will probably get just about everything wrong in it, uh, but I'll do my best. <laughs> um, it's a hard league to predict, but there'll be a lot on just about every team in there. So for those of you who are waiting for your paragraph on Atletico Goya and the NC, I got you covered. I don't think they're going to do very well this year. <laughs> uh, but no, there'll be plenty uh, in there. So look it's forward a, to it. It's really is a poison chalice trying to write that and predict God, stuff. And, and I, I admire you for it, but it's it's brutal. A, you're been, not hiding the nothing. <laughs> uh, I, I've been trying to delete the last two from the internet for about two years now, but I've been unsuccessful. Because uh, if <laughs> you look at those, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, Badges of shame. Well, listen, thanks as always. And Adam, yourself, where can we find you? What are you working on? Anything, anything you want to tell us about? Yeah, so you can find me as ever um, at Kanija Scores or just search for my name, uh, Adam Brandon, uh, on Twitter. Uh, usually tweeting about South American football, um, some English football as well, certainly Norwich City related stuff. Yeah, I'm working away at a couple of articles in the background. No idea when I actually finish them off. They're not time sensitive, so I hope to get those completed in the next couple of weeks. Also working on some South American football show pod ideas uh, with Simon Edwards, who will probably be back next week on the pod. So, so yeah, plenty to look forward to in the coming weeks from me. And, and special mention to Simon, actually, because he missed his opportunity to gush about Santa Fe tonight. <laughs> the man has no luck, absolutely none, but he's probably in Lima with his 11 pieces of cheese. But we'll, we'll leave it there. Listen, guys, just one last thank and a special thanks to Tom. I really appreciate you know this time of the night. It's, it's a hell of an effort, so thanks for that. From my own point of view, just check out everything that WFI has with a full Full quota of shows on there this week. One that I would, would point out is the globe that went out on Israeli football. I certainly learned a lot from it. It's, it's very educational. So it's a great listen. A uh, journalist on there called uh, Raphael Geller. And it, it's just it's a different world uh, in the world of football. And if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's a fascinating listen. So that's the one I would, I would actually pick out this week. But all the normal shows are there. But listen, we've run on our time here and I just want to thank the guys one last time. Thank you, the listener. And until next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye.